This morning's reading is taken from Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without a fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not for those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy that has, sorry, but you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my co-worker, and my fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honour people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, if you haven't met me, my name's Alex. I'm the Senior Associate Minister here on the Carlton campus, and it's just so lovely to be opening God's word with you this morning. So please do have uh, your outline with you. It's in the new sheet that you would have got. It'll be really helpful, and you can scribble some notes down as well. Well, think of a, a role model that you have in your life. Uh, someone you admire, someone you uh, really love uh, to emulate. So have a, have a bit of a think. You might even want to write uh, so, some answers down to these questions. Uh, this person that you're thinking of, uh, what is it about them that you admire? What is it specifically about them that you admire? And what uh, was it about them that you want to imitate or emulate? Why are they your role model. So maybe just spend just a moment thinking through uh, those questions and we'll come back to that later. Well, sometimes it's hard to think of uh, a role model on the spot. 
but maybe uh, something that you can sort of process a bit more during the week. Uh, but role models are important, aren't they? They're important because life isn't just something that we learn from a book. And that includes our Christian life. Uh, learning from Jesus isn't something uh, that just happens in a classroom. Jesus didn't just kind of lecture his students and then send them out. He shared his life with his disciples. And Christianity is something that we learn in relationship. We learn to pray and we learn to read the Bible. We learn to be generous. We learn how to approach our careers, how to uh, uh, raise our children, how to be gracious, how to be humble and forgiving uh, by reading the scriptures, but not just by reading the scriptures, but by seeing and experiencing those things in relationship with others. And so role models are crucial in the Christian life. I've been blessed to have a number of uh, wonderful role models in my life. Um, I came to church as a uh, 20 year old, um, third year at uni. Uh, my journey to Christ was a journey, but I can remember quite vividly actually the moment uh, when I first acknowledged Christ as Lord. Uh, I was in a sermon uh, on Acts 2, uh, you can look it up later, and I was kind of sitting just about there. Well, not, it wasn't at St. Jude's, but you know, you kind of get the picture. Well, part of my journey uh, up until that moment and then following from that moment was a lady named Mary Rowland. Uh, when I first met her, she was about 70 years old. I came from a tricky home life with not really any background in church. And as soon as I started coming, uh, Mary started to pray for me. Uh, she made sure that she said hello to me each week that I was there. She asked me how I was. She encouraged me uh, to read my Bible she encouraged me to do things to help me grow my relationship with Jesus. She even told me off when I was being a jerk. And she did that right up until the time I left to go to Bible college. Now that's not the reason I went to Bible college, <laughs> to get away from her. Now at the time I was a bit unaware of what she was doing, but as I looked back, it, it kind of was clear she was helping me follow Jesus. I thought she was just being friendly. The thing is, I wasn't the only person that she was doing that for. Uh, Mary and her husband, Stan, uh, did that for countless others. Each Sunday, they went to church twice, once in the morning, and then they came along in the evening specifically to encourage young people to follow Jesus. And they did that for a few decades. Uh, Mary passed away about 15 years ago, but her legacy lives on in my life and in heaps of others. Uh, for us and for many, she was a wonderful example of humble, Christ-like service. Now, the reason I share her story is because I think that's where our passage takes us today. Uh, working out our salvation in humble service and following the examples of others who do just that. So let's uh, have a look at the passage. You might want to open up uh, your news sheet. You'll have the passage there and also an outline. And you would have noticed, I think, that our passage begins with a therefore in verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Either therefore at the start of this passage signals that what follows is really just an implication of what's come before. That's what the therefore is 
therefore. You see, Paul has been calling the Philippians to live out their lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's back in chapter 1, verse 27. And that means standing as one, contending for the gospel together. And so to do this, Paul urges them to set aside their division and be united. And as we heard last week, that kind of unity only comes through humility, putting aside selfish ambition, vain conceit, valuing others above yourself and humbly putting their interests first. Christ in his incarnation and in his death on the cross for us is the ultimate example of the humility. It was so great that we got to say that in our creed. He's the ultimate role model for our lives and our life together as Christian people. So verse 12, therefore my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So how do you work out your salvation? If this is an implication of what comes before you do it, you work out your salvation by sharing Christ's mindset of humble service. You work it out in your life together. We work it out in our life together. And we do it with fear and trembling. Fear and trembling. It seems like a bit of an odd thing to say, right? Given Paul had just said that you know God's love, the comfort of his love, you know his tenderness and compassion, now obey in terror. That'd be a bit weird, right? Uh, the original words here have, have a bit of a range of meaning. They could mean literally uh, fear and trembling, terror. Well, they could have a sense of respect and awe and reverence. The kind of reverence that you have for a king, the kind of obedience with which you obey a king. Maybe you've read the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. Uh, if you have, think Aslan. He loved his people. They loved him, but they treated him with reverence and awe. And I think that's what Paul means here. Continue to work out your salvation with due reverence and respect towards the one you serve, who we've just confessed is Lord of all, the one whose name is above every name. And as uh, Paul exhorts the Philippians, notice that Paul isn't kind of having a go at them. He's not rebuking them. He's saying, as you have always obeyed, continue. I know your love for Christ, for each other, your commitment to the gospel, but don't rest on your laurels. Don't live on past glories. Keep, uh, keep going, keep working out your salvation together. And notice what else he's not saying. He's not saying work for your salvation. He's saying work it out, live it out, live out the implications of your salvation that you have already received. That's the logic here. And there's a world of difference between the two. The world of, there's a world of difference between doing things to get saved and being saved and therefore living, doing things. So you can work in order to get married. Some of us have had to work very hard. Or you can get married and then start to work out your relationships, work in your relationships. You can do everything that you, you can do to uh, uh, persuade your partner, to please your partner so they would marry you. That's 
working for your marriage. On the other hand, having become married, you can do everything for your partner because you're married to them. There's a difference, a big difference. The motivation and the starting point are very different. Uh, Yesterday, I told my wife, Liz, to embrace her mistakes. So she turned around and gave me a hug. (laughs) That's not related to the passage, it's something I thought I'd share with you. So he's not saying work for your salvation. You know God's love. You know his grace, his tenderness, his mercy. You are saved. Now live it out. Who's a cyclist here? There's lots of cyclists here. This is St. Jude's after all. If you're a cyclist, well, go get on your bike. Not now, later. If you're a golfer, go out and play golf. If you're a photographer, take photographs. Whatever it is you do, live it out. If you're an Australian, then do whatever it is Australians do. You are a Christian, now go be a Christian. Work it out, live it out. Live out the implications of your salvation. Work is an active word. And Paul has chosen it deliberately. You see, we don't just kind of drift into godliness. It doesn't just happen by accident. We don't just let God and and let go. Humble service takes serious effort and commitment. For example, it means in verse 14, do everything without grumbling and complaining. Just let that sink in. Uh, Paul here isn't talking about um, creative conflict. He's not talking about disagreements or differences of opinion. He's talking about the whinging, whinging and arguing that happens between people. The gossiping we do uh, about others when our noses have been put out of joint. It's a kind of grumbling we do when we're annoyed because we're not getting what we want. And the context here is church, isn't it? Our lives lived together. Whatever it is, whoever you're talking to or about, do everything, everything, without grumbling or complaining. I imagine this expectation isn't just a command that would apply to church life or adults. If there are any teenagers in the room, this applies to you as well, especially my children. I imagine he expects his attitude would uh, flow out into all the areas of our lives, at home, with our families, our brothers and sisters, our parents, our children, at work with our colleagues and even with our bosses, at school, at uni, in our friendship groups, everywhere, do everything without grumbling and complaining. Put your hand up if you've got this thing nailed. I don't think any of us finds this easy. I know I don't. Grumbling and complaining always come too easily to to me. At its heart, though, this kind of attitude comes down to a lack of humility. The Christ-like humility we've just been called to. 
We complain because we feel hard done by, because we think our needs are most important. We grumble because we haven't been recognised or respected or regarded the way we feel that we should be. And what does Paul say? Do everything without grumbling and complaining. You see, humility and these things have an inverse relationship. There's a bit of a graph for those who are mathematically inclined. When one is high, the other is low. When humility is high, grumbling and complaining are low and vice versa. Now, if that's not your kind of thing, think of it this way. It's a seesaw, right? When humility is down, grumbling and complaining go up. And so the the key uh, to grumbling and complaining less is not just more effort to stop, to shut your mouth and not speak. The key is to cultivate humility, to look at Jesus, to see and, and hear and understand his servant heart and to work hard at putting each other's needs first regarding others as more important. And when you do that, that will help me be more humble too, right? When I do that, that will help you be more humble. Because grumbling and complaining isn't just an individual thing, it's a culture, right? Have you noticed how in some workplaces, in some groups, They tend to have a culture of grumbling and complaining. And in that situation, when you enter into that situation, it's easy just to kind of pick up the vibes, to conform, to do do what everyone else is doing. So cultivating humility is something that we need to do together, to help each other to do, to pick each other up on when we're doing it. And as we do that work in our community, we will, as Paul says, shine like stars in the sky. Because Christ-like humility is is uncommon and it's also compelling. A community that doesn't grumble and complain, a community that puts each other's needs first, that regards others in front of themselves, it's attractive People will notice it. People will want to be a part of it. It's not easy, but it's not a pretend goal. It's not some unattainable ideal. It's God's goal for our life together, and it's something that he's actively working to bring about in us. Have a look at verse 13. Work out your salvation for it is God who works in you to will and act according to his good purpose. Yes, we need to work at humility. We need to do it consciously and deliberately. But at the same time, God's Holy Spirit is actively working within each of us and in our community to will and act towards it, to value others more highly, to put each other's needs first. So is that something that you want to cultivate? Uh, Humility that we together want to cultivate? Let's pray confidently for God's help to do it. Let's pray along with Augustine. He said, O Lord, command what you will and give what you command. Command what you will and give what you command. God will bless that desire 
and answer that prayer for humility. Well, we get to the next section of our passage, uh, verses 19 to 30, and it feels like a big gear change, right? Like, full stop, new idea. Now, I really need to talk to you about Timothy and Epaphroditus. It kind of seems like Paul is sorting out uh, some uh, travel plans, sending news, but there is more to it than that. Uh, in, the, in the world where Paul was operating, it was standard practice to use real-life models and examples uh, in ethical teaching. Uh, some teachers use their own conduct as a model. Others uh, pointed to other conduct. Here's an example uh, from the first century. Always be an emulator, dear friend, of virtuous men, for it is better to be well spoken of when imitating good men than to be reproached by all men while following evil men. Do good, not bad. It's good advice, right? Copy those who are good. But the reason I draw your attention to that is, I think we see this model played out in the letter to the Philippians. Paul has just pointed to Christ as the ultimate model of humility, who you should imitate. And later on in chapter 3, he'll say, follow me and follow others. So I think that's why he begins to talk about Timothy and Epaphroditus here. He's not just sorting out details. He's holding up uh, these men as examples of Christ-like service who work out their salvation in humility. And he's holding them up as examples for the Philippians and for us to follow. And he starts with Timothy in verse 19. Uh, Timothy was like a son to Paul, his protege in the faith, his St. Jude's trainee, if you like. You can find out more uh, about Timothy in the, uh, the letters that Paul wrote to him, conveniently titled 1 and 2 Timothy. Uh, Paul often sent Timothy with messages to churches. and uh, Paul's intention was to send news with Timothy to the Philippians and for Timothy to come back with news about them so Paul might be encouraged. One of the things that I love about Philippians, and I'm sure you've noticed it as well, is the evident love and warmth in these Christian relationships. And so part of what Paul is doing here is commending Timothy uh, to the Philippians. But notice the nature of the commendation here. Like Paul, he is genuinely concerned for their welfare, not his own. Unlike others, he puts the interests of Jesus ahead of his own. Notice kind of the themes here, the common themes, right? Uh, Timothy is a walking and talking example of Christ-like humility. Paul's words here are a commendation but also a prompt for when they receive him for the Philippians uh, to copy him, to emulate him. Learn from this godly man. Uh, often I receive material for uh, uh, spruiking various Christian conferences and I remember once uh, getting... Uh, this one often uh, when you get stuff for a conference they'll have a list of speakers and a bit of a bio uh, with a list of credentials or achievements I assume uh, to give you confidence that if you turn up you'll actually learn something from them but also uh, uh, it's a bit of a brag really look at this imp impressive resume but it's a very different sort of commendation here isn't it it's not 
gun preacher, effective leader, mega church pastor. It's this man loves others. This man loves you. This man loves Jesus. I once got a leaflet from a Christian conference and it was a big picture of the speaker's head and in black letters under his big head, the description, the greatest preacher in the world. Maybe he was. It's crass. But Christians can often slip into that kind of thinking and behaviour, albeit a little more subtly than that. Valuing credentials over character, promoting worldly values rather than kingdom values. But greatness in God's kingdom isn't a collection of impressive titles. It's not a CV of outstanding abilities and achievements. Greatness looks like Timothy. Putting Jesus first, serving others before yourself. Well, in verse 25, he moves on to speaking about Epaphroditus and he's another man like Timothy. He's another man worth emulating. He's part of Paul, uh, Paul's circle, his co-worker, his brother, also well known to the Philippians. Originally, the Philippians sent him with messages and supplies and gifts to support Paul in his work. And he did it amidst great adversity. He became very ill and he almost died in the course of his work for Christ. That's what Paul says. Perhaps it was on his journey to the, deliver the messages. It's not clear here. It's clear, however, that Epaphroditus is dear to both the Philippians and to Paul. But he's recovered now, so Paul is planning to send him back. You see, Epaphroditus misses his sisters and his brothers in Philippi. He loves them, and they love him, and they're concerned, and they want to see him. And more, Epaphroditus, he's deeply dismayed because his church heard that he almost died for the work of Christ. They're upset. And now he's upset because they're upset, right? Epaphroditus almost died, but do you know what he's worried about? He's worried about them. Now, to be clear, Epaphroditus' attitude doesn't come from kind of some perverse lack of self-worth, as if he, he, he isn't worthy of care or concern or healing. See, I imagine now Epaphroditus has recovered and now he's concerned about his brothers and sisters. He's another humble believer, thinking of others first. So Paul says, verse 29, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honour people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. Welcome him with joy Honour him and honour those like him, people who give themselves for the work of Christ, people who give themselves for others. Well, the stories you tell, right, and the people uh, you honour shape the kind of culture, the kind of people that you want to be. I take it that's why each year we appoint an Australian of the year. 
They show what we value, and for, a, uh, for one year, they get a platform, right, to shape the culture of our nation, to shape the conversation. Uh, Grace Tame, in 2021, was the Australian of the Year for her courageous advocacy against sexual abuse and assault. And she's done great work in that capacity. Uh, this year's award winner was Paralympian and disability advocate Dylan Alcott. They're great people to have, right? Great models. Because we want to be a nation that's safe and values all people and includes all people. And so here Paul is telling the story of Epaphroditus. He's concerned for the gospel and he's concerned for others. He's Christ-like humble service. Receive him with great joy. Honour him and those like him. Because I want to see that in you guys as well. And we did that last week. We had an afternoon tea here last Saturday for Jeff Kennedy. Uh, if you're new, you might not know Jeff, but Jeff uh, served with our estates ministry for 35 years. 35 years on the estates. People loved him because he was so humble, so caring, so kind, and often did it at risk. He was a great servant of Jesus, a humble servant. Uh, a few years ago, I read an article where the author was kind of noticing a gradual shift in Christian, uh, contemporary Christian culture. And he did it by noticing the kind of books that appeared on the shelf in the Christian bookstores. He noticed a shift away a little bit uh, from books about service and sacrifice towards books about fulfillment and achievement, living well and fulfilling your purpose. Now, there's nothing wrong with reading about and thinking through those things. But this shift really reflects the direction of our culture more than the mindset of Christ. The predominant framework for the Christian life in Philippians 2 isn't personal welfare and self-fulfillment, is it? It's humility. It's thinking of others first putting others' needs before my own. That's the way of Christ. That's Paul's way. That's Timothy's way. That's Epaphroditus's way. And that's the way of life we're called to as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So I just want to finish with just a couple of thoughts. How can we kind of uh, help each other to emulate Christ's humility and service. Well, we've done it this morning, I think, by sitting together and listening to the scriptures, listening to God speak to us about humility. But we won't just learn it by reading about it or hearing about it. Christian maturity happens in relationship, right? We model it to each other. That's why we need godly role models. So let me encourage you as an outworking of what we've heard over the past couple of weeks, actively look for godly role models who model humility in your life. Proactively seek to build relationships, to share your life with a Timothy, an Epaphroditus, anyone who models this Christ-like humility. They can be someone older than you, 
But they don't have to be. Eventually, that runs out, right? There's nobody who's older than you. (laughs) They can be younger. They can be your age. Uh, Timothy was a young man. And Paul urged him to hold up his life as an example for older believers. And there are a number of ways we can build these relationships here in our life together at 10am. Over the last couple of weeks we talked about our connect groups, our small groups where we uh, study the Bible together, we pray for each other, we share life together. That's a great context to build these kind of relationships, encouraging each other to greater humility. After church, in our morning tea time, be deliberate. Uh, Be deliberate in your conversations. Uh, Build relationships. We've had lots of ways you could do that. You could come to our welcome lunch, meet some other Christians, particularly if you're new. Uh, We've got a couple of dinners coming up. Gather a prayer triplet. Or more. You don't have to just be three. You could be four. That would be okay. Uh, Start serving at church and you can kind of kill two birds with one stone. Serving alongside each other is a great way to build relationship and learn from others while you're actually humbly uh, meeting the needs of others. You could do that here at 10am. You could do it uh, with our uni churches in our 6pm service. I've spoken with many people here at 10 who've expressed uh, a lot of interest and concern for uni church. We'll take the next step and express that in concrete terms. Come to Uni Church. Each week we have dinner there. Great way to sit down, have a meal with someone, meet some people, start to build relationships where this kind of role modelling can flourish. You can come to church twice a day. You don't have to come once a day. It's not prohibited. And you don't have to do it every Sunday but just do it occasionally to start to build some of those relationships. Uh, Later today, we're talking about a proposed new 4pm service. Uh, Many of the young people who want to come, who expressed interest in that service, uh, really are desiring to, uh, they really want to have uh, older Christians in their lives who they can uh, look to as models. Come along to 4pm today, uh, at 4pm today and meet them. However we do that, let's pray that God will help us model and encourage each other to Christ-like humility. 